Welcome back. Have you been watching Lula Rich over on Amazon? I know. Me too. I couldn't help it. I binge watched our, all four episodes right in a row. It was great. It was it was so well put together. It was so easy to consume. It was a fascinating and is a fascinating story. The LuLaRoe lawsuits are one of the first things I covered when this podcast launched. Gosh, we're coming up on two years. Wow. We're coming up on two years of this podcast in November. So just a few months. I can't even believe it. But it's one of the first things I covered because these lawsuits are so fascinating. And of course, there's been more of them. We learned more information about the background of the LuLaRoe company from LuLaRich. So today's episode is my thoughts on LuLaRich and some of the things we learned from it and some of the most prominent lawsuits behind LuLaRoe and its um, fall from favor. I can't believe it's still in business. I was going to be, and it's like inevitable demise. I'm shocked that they're still in business, frankly. I really, truly am. And I won't be, well, we'll see how these lawsuits go. I mean, the money's still coming from somewhere. They're still recruiting. I can't imagine looking at at everything that's been in the news and going, yes, that's what I want to do. I want to do LuLaRoe. I just don't know how that decision gets made with all the information out there about this company. I I have questions. <laughs> I'm sure you have questions. And um, the only quote that comes to mind this week comes to us from one of the former consultants who in the documentary said, if it seems like it's too good to be true, it probably is, which is a maxim we can all empathize with and, and understand and live by. Because for a long time, LuLaRoe was too good to be true. I also, I know people who did LuLaRoe, who waited on the list to get the call so that they could be a consultant like this. It had all the trappings of like this get rich quick scheme. And their founders said some things that raised a lot of red flags for me during this documentary. And then of course there's lawsuits in the, you know, hundreds of millions and billions of dollars, which is always fun when numbers like stop having meaning. <laughs> so let's get into Lula Rich and the law behind the downfall of LuLaRoe. Hey there, welcome to The Emily Show. I'm your host, Emily D. Baker, badass lawyer and everyone's favorite legal commentator, breaking down the legal shit in the news and pop culture stories you want to talk about. I've been a licensed attorney for over 15 years. I'm a former prosecutor and I'm a big fan of the cursey words. So let's break it down. Look, if you want to work from home, I totally get it. And as you are starting that exploration, you don't want your data being shared or scraped and sold. And that's one of the underpinnings that we've been talking about in the Jen Shaw wire fraud case is that she created some algorithm that got leads and then sold them into these schemes that she's being charged with. And today we're definitely talking about another scheme with LuLaRoe and protecting your data online matters. You know that I have worked with NordVPN for months and months and months now. It is the VPN that I use created by cybersecurity experts can be used on up to six devices, which means you don't have to just worry about your home computer and be like, oh, well, what about my phone? What about my kid's device or the computer that they use? You can put Nord on six devices. And with our code today, Emily D. Baker, you get a huge discount 
and four additional months with your two-year plan. So you can go to nordvpn.com slash emilydbaker or use the code emilydbaker with your Nord purchase. It is the VPN I use. I don't want my internet data, well, my private data. I don't want my private data all over the internet. I know that you don't either. We ask a lot of questions here on my channel. And you know what I don't need is people trying to find my data and selling it onto lists to try to sell me into scams. So if you are interested in browsing the internet in a more uh, safe and private way, check out Nord. What I like the most is that it doesn't slow down my browsing. Yes, I use Nord while I'm streaming, so it doesn't slow down your internet speeds. I have tested it myself. And Nord doesn't keep data logs, so they're not tracking your data. They are connecting you securely to a virtual private network and routing your data from there so that you can feel confident in your internet browsing. Now that the world has opened up and I've started traveling again, I do not go on any Wi-Fi with any device without a VPN. That includes like if I'm at the Sky Club and I have free Wi-Fi and not good cell service, I have the VPN on my phone, I have it on my iPad, I have it on my home computer or my kids' devices and my husband's devices. I don't know if he knows to not click the link. Like I don't always trust everybody to not click the link and I'm confident in our web surfing because of NordVPN. So again, go check it out. Emily D. Baker is your code or nordvpn.com slash Emily D. Baker. Get your four free months and a huge discount off of your two-year plan. And thank you again, Nord, for working with me and sponsoring our content. Let's get into today's topic. LuLaRoe. If you have never heard the phrase LuLaRoe, you're probably not a woman of a certain age because there was a period of time where you could not escape these leggings anywhere. LuLaRoe is an MLM company or a network marketing company that was selling very brightly colored and designed leggings that were touted to be buttery soft. And here's the thing, legit, I own pairs of LuLaRoe. I had friends that sold LuLaRoe. They did a Disney collab. I still own those. They um, they were soft. They only sold them in two sizes and they magically stretched. You had like a, a, a I, I hate to say regular, but you had like a size and then you had like a plus size option. And that was it, two sizes of pants a one size and like a plus size. And then they branched out into all kinds of different clothing. Uh, I never really branched out with that, but it was always fascinating to me the way that this particular MLM worked because the retailers or the resellers, the mostly women who were working with LuLaRoe had to purchase inventory and didn't get to choose their inventory. This always was so weird to me because the promise of LuLaRoe was like, you can run your own store right from your home or the back of your car. It's like, if I was sourcing for my own store, I would source with my customers in mind. Now, mind you, I don't have <laughs> fashion sense. I don't consider myself to be a tastemaker. I have very good taste in things like cold tumblers and uh, luxury purses, but I do not I do not consider myself a clothing individual, so I'm not going to be sourcing things for anyone because I don't know. But 
I imagine it's like when I source stories that I cover here on the Emily show and on the YouTube channel is that I'm looking for things that I know that the lawnards are interested in and stories that I know you want to hear about. If somebody just came to me and handed me a piece of paper and was like, this is the shit you're talking about. I'm like, how do I run a YouTube channel with somebody else telling me what to talk about? I don't know how to do that. That's I'm not a news reader. I am a commentator and I my content is the stuff I'm interested in and the stuff the lawnards are interested in and we combine that together. I can't imagine having to pay for wholesale items where you don't get to choose the type of item, the size of item, the the kind of prints. It's just like a grab bag of bullshit. And it's just like, here, make lemons out of lemonade. We can sell whatever. We can sell whatever shit we want. Here it is. Just sell it. Which was so interesting because there was... um during the time when LuLaRue was really popping, there there were Facebook Lives all the time. And people were like, oh, I've got in some of these limited edition. Here's a Facebook Live. So there was no customer loyalty, really, to a particular uh, LuLaRue salesperson or retailer. Because if you were searching for a particular pair of pants, you were just going to go find whoever had them. And that was a very interesting business model to me that you didn't get to tailor things to your particular audience or the people that were in your life that you knew might want to purchase something or might have particular, like they don't want the dresses, they want the leggings. I don't know. It was always odd to me, but it makes sense in light of everything else that we've seen that LuLaRoe was really focused on, yes, selling clothes. Yes, there was a product, but the big, big money in LuLaRoe before they changed their uh not reward, but their uh, payment structure and their bonus structure was coming from recruiting and bringing people on. And when they brought people on, the buy-in to this company was in the thousands and thousands of dollars. And in Lula Rich, we saw people talking about the lengths they went to to find the money to onboard with this company. We also saw a lot of discussion about the time people waited to onboard with this company and almost the fervor and the frenzy to bring on more consultants, sell more product. But once you bring on more consultants, it also keeps your existing consultants happy, right? Because then they are uh, making more money by recruiting people to work with them. The thing that was most interesting, I'm probably going to say that a lot, which means it's not the thing that was most interesting. (laughs) One of the things I found very interesting was the discussion of lifestyle and image within LuLaRoe. And I had heard mention of this in other research I had done in previous podcast episodes talking about these lawsuits. But the the focus on looks and that the LuLaRoe consultants all kind of looked the same and were their hair the same and, and gravitated towards the same clothes. But then that at the top of the company, there was pressure to get uh, bariatric surgery, to be a certain weight, to promote a certain lifestyle, to spend big, to show how successful you were, and to do all these outward things that are essentially income claims. Like, look, I'm healthy. I'm wealthy. I am that bitch. Like, I am that rich. It putting out that persona, that like quintessential hashtag boss babe persona that that now kind of makes me want to puke because it's not running a successful business is not a hashtag boss babe movement. Yes, women can be empowered as CEOs. Yes, women can do just about anything. But this like, I'm going to just take some pictures and that's my business. That's kind of what the boss babe thing promotes for me. And I'm just like, it's a lot more work than that. And that feels like 
a lie, right? The boss babe is a lie. The boss babe is fake. The, there is a lot that goes into running an entrepreneurial venture, and it is a lot of work. And I find that kind of the hashtag boss babe situation downplays the work to lure people in. And if you have to mask aspects of what you're doing to lure people in, that maybe is a red flag that what's going on is not something that's for everyone. Like if if you have a great opportunity, just being like, hey, this is what it is, and you let people know everything, and then they're like, hell yeah, great. But if it's like, oh, you live this lifestyle and look at look at all these women with their, you know, their fancy cars and their fancy bags and all the things, if you have to sell the lifestyle that hard, what are you really selling? And really, it feels to me like you're selling income claims that aren't allowed to be made. And this is not a LuLaRoe-specific problem. This is an issue in other MLMs. This is an issue in internet marketing. This is an issue in digital marketing. This the improper income claims is an issue in other aspects as well. But what's interesting between MLMs and some of the um, entrepreneurial space, digital marketing, marketing space is that there's a lot, they lean into a lot of the same tactics. And I know there is a large anti-MLM community and I am not like, I feel like the anti-MLM community is as large and as passionate and 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 as voracious for information as like the true crime community. I feel there's crossover there and that's just completely speculation on my part, but it feels like there's a fascination with MLM culture and anti-MLM and, and exposing uh, perceived frauds the same way there is in like digging through true crime and exposing uh, cases and things that happened. I feel like it's, it's similar. That Maybe it's just me, <laughs> but the tactics feel very similar. Like I want to look great. I want to show you this great lifestyle. I'm going to show you the cars and the purses and everything you can achieve by at the end of the day, selling ugly leggings to people who are like, fuck yes, I want ugly leggings. And look, no shame. I was there too. <laughs> I there were definitely leggings that I was like, yes. I want Minnie Mouse leggings. Look, I still have my Minnie Mouse leggings. I still wear them. If I if we ever get onto a Disney cruise ship again, which I'm very much hoping to do, I will be in my Minnie Mouse leggings. Look, I already paid for them. I'm not still supporting this company, but I was supporting my friend and I found Minnie Mouse leggings that I love. They were soft, but is it is it worth it? So when we're talking about comfort in leggings, I want to share um, our other sponsor of the show today, Beta Brand. Because look, you don't have to support ugly leggings to have comfortable pants. It's time to move away from believing that the only comfortable pants are leggings. I know COVID has made wearing pants like not a thing we want to do anymore, but it's because you haven't tried Beta Brand pants yet. Not only are they stylish and professional pants, but they're yoga pants. They are literally work wear yoga pants. But even if you're not going into a traditional office and just want to feel more put together in your day-to-day or taking your kids to an appointment or a meeting or whatever it is, you can feel put together in all of the different styles that Beta Brand offers in their dress pant yoga pants. They're great. I, I wore them regularly to court as a DA. I still wear them now. I really love black cropped pants. They have denim now, so I'm going to be adding denim to my wardrobe. But the 
pants are soft and stretchy. They still have integrity and there's tons of different styles to choose from. Straight legs, skinny fits, cropped bootleg and more. You've got basic black and prints like houndstooth. And as I said, I cannot wait to add denim. And the best part of it is not that you can actually do yoga in them because they are dress pant yoga pants, but that they have pockets. Yes, the stretchy is a huge benefit. Pockets for me, like why is it so hard to have pockets in women's pants? But it is. The struggle is real. And Better Brand is like, yeah, struggle no more. You can do yoga. You can be comfy. You can look put together. You can feel like you're in leggings, but you're actually in work pants. But They're actually yoga pants. They are soft. They have integrity and they have pockets. What more could you want? Oh, 30% off? Cool. That's right. 30% off. Right now, you can get 30% off your Better Brand order when you go to betterbrand.com slash Emily. That is B-E-T-A-B-R-A-N-D.com slash Emily for 30% off your order for a limited time. When you use our special URL, it also shows that you support the code and shows Beta Brand that working with The Emily Show and with me so I can bring you content like this is a good thing to do. It's a win, win, win. It's time to discover what it's like to be comfortable and confident. Go to betabrand.com slash Emily, get that 30% off. And then if you wear them and want to tag me on social, tag me at the Emily D. Baker so I can see what you have gotten and let me know what you're ordering. And if you love it, I cannot wait to hear your feedback because look, there are comfortable pants out there. They they don't rip like toilet paper, which is what we're going to get into in just a minute because that's what some of these lawsuits have alleged with regard to the Lularo pants. It's not good. It's not good. You don't want to go to work and have your ass hanging out. It's all bad. All bad. Some of the things that really stuck out to me with regard to the documentary Lula Rich is that the founders sat down and had a conversation, like full well knew that these lawsuits were going on, talked about the lawsuits a little bit, um, that these were that they thought it was, you know, kind of malicious prosecution with regard to the state of Washington and things like that. But it was very, very interesting listening to them talk about the founding of this company and listening to them talk about the entrepreneurial ventures of its female founder, Deanne, and the fact that she started um, looking for clothes. She always wanted, I interpreted it as always kind of wanted to look like she was well off, even when there were times in her life that she was struggling and was at you know, the the swap meet and found dresses like you would find in the department stores um, just being sold at the swap meet from wholesale. And she started doing parties, selling those clothes, and then started creating her own clothes, selling maxi skirts and branching out from there and really started with resellers in 2020 using and leveraging social media to start selling different kinds of fabric made clothing. And that kind of blossomed into the, the LuLaRoe brand named after, which I didn't know the, their first three grandchildren, um, Lula and Roe, which were the first initials from some of their names. The married couple behind LuLaRoe, Mark and Deanne, uh, both came together with multiple children. They are Mormons. So having large families is, is not surprising. Uh, she had seven kids. He had, he had uh, also a number of kids. They have biological children, adopted children. What was very odd to me, and it's hard to, the sentence is hard to wrap your brain around, is when Mark was like, yes, we have 14 children and two of them are married to each other. 
And they clarified. You could tell they thought it was funny, but it kind of doesn't play well when there's already this scrutiny on their company and things already feel strange with the way LuLaRoe has done business and kind of done its distributors dirty. And then they're like, no, two of our kids are married. It's like, what in the world? And then they were clarifying that one of the kids was adopted. They're not biologically related. I mean, obviously we would hope that they're not biologically related. It was just such an interesting and odd thing to to dive into. Um, but they definitely shared how large their family is and how many other family members worked with this company. But what Mark said in the first episode that was interesting to me was not only that both Deanne and Mark's parents had worked with Amway, so they were well familiar with kind of the structure and the OG multi-level marketing company, but he really put out there what he wanted for LuLaRoe. And this is what LuLaRoe's been accused of and lots of, well, not lots. The industry of multi-level marketing has been accused of. What he said is, and I, I went back and watched this part multiple times over to make sure I got the quote right, but he said, if you want to create incredible wealth, identify an underutilized resource. And there is an underutilized resource of stay-at-home moms, and they have chosen to be a mother. If you make that choice, you pay a price career-wise in our country right now. And he then goes on to talk about these ideas of, you know, you reap what you sow. It's a meritocracy. You get out of it what you put into it. And that seemed to be what he dialed into. Like, no, put more in, you'll get more out. Our products aren't the problem. You're the problem. If you're not selling, it's you. And and really leaned into that. But LuLaRoe has been accused of really targeting and heavily targeting stay-at-home moms with this idea that you can work part-time and get a full-time income, that this won't take you away from your family. Though, from those I know in MLM companies and those um, that have left MLM companies, they do tend to take quite a bit of your time. And to really succeed, it can pull you away from family quite substantially. And we heard that experience over and over and over in Lula Rich. It's like, I'm doing this for my family, but now I'm away from my family more. And it kind of leans into, well, you know, you only have 18 summers with your kids. How do you want to spend those? It's like, well, I, I don't know. Most of these retailers are like, I don't want to spend it schlepping clothes up somebody's third floor to sell two things to spend five hours away from my family to make $27. That's not how I want to spend it. And you really saw that come through with the distributors or the, the retailers or the resellers or consultants. I will call them all the things uh, throughout the course of this episode. But you really heard that from them as... I'm being sold that I don't have to spend this time away, but then you have to spend this time away. And as we get into the later episodes, Mark talks about the fact that once these businesses become successful, that the husbands of the consultants should and are encouraged to quit their jobs to work within the company. And they were talking kind of about how it is a, a family thing, but the retail the resellers, the consultants were saying it felt very calculated to them and it felt very much sinister to push an entire family into dependence on LuLaRoe because then you gain compliance. If everyone's income is all in in this company, are you going to ask as many questions? Uh, when things are difficult, are you as willing to kind of pull up stakes and leave the company? And if 
both spouses' income and their, you know, a family with children and other family members potentially, you know, in-laws and cousins and siblings are all in this company. Are you just going to pull up stakes and leave? And one of the reseller families that was interviewed said it felt sinister. Those are the words that they used to really get everybody all in. And one of the other resellers said, it's the culture of a cult. And that was very interesting too, when you look at the, and this is not just MLM, not just MLMs. These are tactics used, yes, in cults, but yes, also in, in lots of organizations, religious organizations, work organizations to, to bring this like positivity. Like we have a culture where a group, because people want to be part of a group. They want to feel like they have unity. It's it's why people love going to a college football game and everybody's chanting the same thing and wearing the same colors. You feel part of something bigger than yourself and people seek that out. And I think targeting stay-at-home moms is so easy because it can be a very isolating time in a in an individual's life especially if they have gone from a workplace environment to being at home, whether it's just during maternity leave or later, you go from having other social interaction to not having other social interaction. So you can see why people are right for, hey, don't you want to be around other people? People who believe the same things you do, people who are excited about their you know, future, people who have a can-do attitude, people who are willing to reach for something better, who think different. And I can see why so many women are like, yes, I am looking for a friend group. I mean, isn't this how sororities recruit? So I was in a sorority, so I'm going to just go with yes. But it's it's that wanting to be part of something and feeling accepted that really is leaned on by not just not just LuLaRoe, but most MLMs. They sell you on the culture, but workplaces do that too. Religions do that too. The belonging, the bigger the the being around people. So again, I, I can see why people are drawn to doing these companies. And I'm sure you know someone who has done multiple MLMs looking for the one that's a right fit. Where we get into problems with MLMs and all MLMs, including, um, including LuLaRoe, is that a lot of the time when the bonus structure is based off of not just what is sold, the product that's sold, the bonus structure is based off of what those in your downline buy, it can lead to this very uncomfortable push-pull of like, hey, you only need to sell like $500 more to hit your target. You should just buy it. And it can lead to most of the products that a company is selling. They are selling to their own consultants because people want to maintain their levels or maintain their bonus levels or pay structures. And so the consultants are really the buying force. It's not really a resale environment to others that are not part of the, you know, the group or the pyramid, as some might call it. So there are fine lines between pyramid schemes and MLMs, but there are lines between them. MLMs are not illegal. They are not all pyramid schemes. Um, when they change their price structures, it's like LuLaRoe. It's like, yeah, the state of Washington binged us for being a pyramid scheme. And we we moved away from the pyramid scheme pay structure that was so lucrative that let people leave their jobs and and believe that this was going to last forever. And then then it didn't. And then their pay got cut. And then it was like, oh, it was all a dream. And now, and now I have quit whatever job I did to do this thing. And I have lost all of this money. And with LuLaRoe, 
stuck with all this inventory. And that is a big part of what has gone on in these lawsuits is as LuLaRoe was growing exponentially, the inventory quality started to change. The leggings started to rip. They were, people were getting stinky pants. People were getting things that were molded and mildewed and wet and just nasty on top of nasty because it seemed that the leggings were sitting outside, that the company was growing faster than it could account for. And that's also being alleged in one of the lawsuits, the My Dyer lawsuit that we'll talk about, is that they weren't then paying their distributor and then started working with multiple distributors. So the quality control of the leggings started to shift and consultants were complaining, look, my customers aren't happy. I'm getting all these returns. How do I return it to you? And underpinning a lot of the class action or a number of the class action lawsuits with regard to LuLaRoe is this change in return policy that they touch on in LuLaRoe. And LuLaRoe didn't have a proper uh, return policy early on based on what this documentary said, but then they changed it to say, look, if you come in as a consultant and you get inventory that you cannot sell, 100% return. Just return it to us and we will return to you the wholesale cost that you paid for it. And a lot of people relied on that, relied on that when they signed up for the company, relied on that in their purchasing decisions. And then the company changed it overnight. And that did prompt multiple class action lawsuits because people were left with tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of dollars of inventory. Uh, at the end of the documentary, they talk about the number of LuLaRoe consultants that had to file bankruptcy, had to sell their homes, their cars, because they were stuck with money sunk in inventory they couldn't get rid of. During this time, there were um, photos and kind of memes going around the internet of the fact that a lot of the traditional donation stores, Salvation Army, Goodwill, were refusing to take more LuLaRoe because they had more than they could offload because people were like, just get it out of my garage. I don't have anywhere to put it. And they couldn't return it to the company. And that really led to a mass exodus because this company burned the people who trusted it and relied on policies. And you should be able to rely on a company policy that's like, um, you can return it no problem. And then they change it overnight with no warning, no notice, no like, hey, three months from now, this policy is changing. So if you want to, you want to, you know, cut bait and get out, you can. Nope, overnight. And I think it's because they, speculation on my part, but I think it's because they hit a cash flow snag because so many people were returning inventory that they might not be able to then turn around and resell. And we know that in 2019 or well, 2018, 2019, they were having issues with their suppliers as well, because one of their suppliers has alleged in a lawsuit that they weren't being paid. So that's a problem. In the last episode of LulaRich, they talked a bit about the convention in 2018 and that the company was facing a number of lawsuits at that time and was still paying the book Kelly Clarkson to play at the convention. And, you know, we're starting to see the... Uh, we're starting to see the rise of the the discontent in LuLaRoe in 2018. And they're still putting on a big shiny show going, no, no, look over here. Everything's fine. And that's when we were seeing these issues with the return policy running up to the My Dyer lawsuit and then the state of Washington lawsuit. So let's talk about some of the lawsuits that LuLaRoe has found itself embroiled in. The Lula lawsuits. Lula lawsuit. Why is Lula lawsuit so fun to say? Lula lawsuit. All right, let's get into that. First of all, there was this very interesting group of cases 
with insurance companies, Ohio National and others, and they sought declaratory relief from the court. Declaratory relief means that they were seeking the court to make a statement, to declare, I do declare, that they were not responsible to pay attorney's fees, costs, and other uh, items with regard to the LuLaRoe lawsuits, not all of them, but a number of them. So let's talk about that real quick. And of course, for those of you watching the video version, you get to see the final judgment, the final countdown. So the insurance companies are the Ohio Casualty Insurance Company, West American Insurance Company, First Liberty Insurance, American Fire and Casualty Company, Liberty Insurance Corporation. The final judgment from the court in this case out of the Central District of California Eastern Division is that the agreements between all of the insurance companies and LuLaRoe LLC, LLR Inc., Lennon Leasing, Mark Stidham, Deanne Bradley, a.k.a. Deanne Stidham, and Jordan Brady, who is one of Deanne's kids, they agreed that none of the plaintiffs has or had a duty to defend, indemnify any of the defendants or to pay any portion of attorney's fees, costs, settlements, and or judgments that might be incurred, awarded, or entered against any of the defendants in connection with any of the following claims, lawsuits, actions, appeals, and or related arbitration and other proceedings identified in plaintiff's complaint. The insurance companies sued LuLaRoe and the founders of LuLaRoe, as I listed out, to seek declaratory relief from the court saying, you insurers do not have to pay, as we listed out, attorney's fees, cost settlements, et cetera, with regard to these identified lawsuits in California. And then it lists five different lawsuits, including some of the ones we will be talking about. It lists the Stella Lemberg lawsuit, which you see um, the lawyer and the individual for in Lula Rich discussing that lawsuit. Providence Industries versus LuLaRoe, that is the My Dyer lawsuit. Uh, My Dyer suing LuLaRoe for over, I think it's $60 million at this point of hard loss costs because they were a supplier that didn't get paid. And then a countersuit between Lu, from LuLaRoe to My Dyer for over a billion dollars. We'll get into that massive mess soon. Belinda Hibbard et al., a class action against LuLaRoe. Tabitha Spearing versus LuLaRoe and the state of Washington versus LuLaRoe. And LuLaRoe did have to pay out a substantial sum of money in that Washington lawsuit, which we will talk about in just a minute. So the insurance companies were like, no, nope, we are not responsible for all of this. Why? Well, I imagine that what happened here is that they are saying, no, these are, some of these were issues with the way that the the return policy changed. That's not an accident. That's not, we couldn't fulfill a contract because something caught on fire or was damaged or, or what have you. That was a company 
choice that led to those lawsuits. And the insurance companies are like, nah, we're not, we're not on the hook for any of that. We don't, we don't, we don't want any of that smoke. And who can blame them? It's a lot of insurance companies. I was very interested to find that because clearly the insurance companies were worried about the business practices of Lularo leading to these lawsuits enough that they went to court to try to seek declaratory relief against the company and won declaratory relief against the company saying that they're not obligated to those lawsuits or to uh, cover costs, et cetera, for those lawsuits. So that that was probably a big financial hit to LuLaRoe. I imagine that would have been very stressful to be like, oh, great, we have insurance and it's not covering any of this. In some of those lawsuits, we talked about the Providence Industries lawsuit. That's the My Dyer lawsuit. My Dyer was a supplier of leggings. They're a Long Beach-based company, LuLaRoe being a Corona, California-based company. And it seemed that from the LuLaRich documentary that the two CEOs, Mark Stidham and the gentleman who's the CEO for My Dyer, had a friendship and bonded over these like super high-end luxury cars that they enjoyed, like million dollar kind of cars. They called themselves Ghost Squadron. I thought that was fascinating. As I was listening to episode four of this, I was like, oh, oh, they were homies. They were like all doing business together. Like they were super rich. They were like, this is amazing. Yeah. And then, um, and then the messiest freaking lawsuit ever sparked out of that a uh, deteriorating business relationship with my dyer originally filing lawsuit in October 2018 alleging that LuLaRoe had continued to place order uh, orders for product knowing that they weren't paying for product and these were not just like losses these were hard costs like you owe us invoices that are due in over $48 million. And that number has grown through the course of litigation. When I first covered this, what, almost two years ago, I was confused as to why a company would be like, oh, you owe me a million dollars in an invoice. Why are we still supplying you with product? And on and on and on until we get into that 48 million number. After Lula Rich, it makes a little bit more sense that these guys were like rich car bro friends. And with that, I imagine that there is some decision making that goes in with like, no, no, I know you're good for it. Like we're homies. So I got you. And I wonder if that's part of how my dyer ended up having so many unfulfilled invoices, unpaid invoices, as they indicated in their lawsuit filed in 2018. The kind of procedural posture of that lawsuit right now is that there is a cross-complaint. There are a lot of parties involved, so I'm just going to pull up the cross-complaint. That was filed on 6-2-2021. Well, the fourth amended cross-complaint was. And there is a pending order to show cause from the court as to why the uh, amended cross-complaint hasn't been served on everyone. This lawsuit is messy. Like it's gotten messy. The amount of mudslinging and court documents and declarations, and it it's ju just, no one has anything nice to say about anyone in this thing. It is, it is literally just everyone trying to excoriate the other in the course of this lawsuit. So the original underlying lawsuit is Providence Industries LLC, which is the My Dyer Company versus LuLaRoe LLC, LLR Inc., which is their Wyoming wing of LuLaRoe, and I wonder if that's their holding company, 
Mark uh, Stidham individually, Deanne Brady, a.k.a. Deanne Stidham, the wife, the two um, original owners of LuLaRoe, Ghost Squadron LLC, because here's the thing. In the body of this lawsuit, it is alleged by my dire that money was being moved out of LuLaRoe into various other LLCs. And I didn't understand what all of these things were until I saw the Lula Rich uh, documentary where the investigative reporters that had kind of dug into this were talking about what some of these things were. And I was like, oh, the fancy, fancy cars. <laughs> Interesting. This is also a lawsuit like so many others that we talk about where some of the allegations are things like they were siphoning money off of the company to live an extravagant lifestyle, to prove this extravagant lifestyle, to um, drive these expensive cars. They bragged about it. And in the body of this lawsuit, the My Dyer company alleges that when it came up to Mark Stenham, like, hey, you've got all these outstanding invoices that he allegedly said, and I am paraphrasing, but allegedly said, you know, um, fuck you, sue me, come find it. Like, come find the money. I'll get on a plane and go to the Bahamas and you'll never track me down. So there was definitely a lot of tea spilt in the original lawsuit. And I will link those episodes if you want to listen to them. They are audio-only versions of The Emily Show from all those years ago when we got started. I mean, it's uh, Emily, way to be dramatic. It's only been like a, almost two years. Like, it's, it's, it's not that deep. <laughs> all those years ago. Anyway, Ghost Squadron, LLC, Inland Exotic Motors, LLC, Lennon Leasing, LLC, Hud Sloan Land Company, LLC, 2000 Carolina Pines Drive, LLC, 823 Ringdale Circle. And all of these addresses sound like they're probably rental properties. 4048 Susie Circle, LLC, Straight and Narrow, LLC, Airport Road Number 25, LLC, Yellow Husky, LLC, and Sequoia Holdings, LLC. Um, don't worry, we're not done yet. Corona Campus LLC, which I would guess is uh, the building that they operate LuLaRoe out of in Corona. Corona Land Campus LLC, Sequoia Holdings Management LLC, Big Sky Company Ventures LLC, Bryce Canyon Investments LLC, Golden Gate Holdings Management LLC, Redwood Ventures LLC, Legal Fund Holdings LLC, Storyland Investments LLC, 13 Crowns Investment LLC, Apex Force LLC, Joshua Tree Investments LLC, and Doe's 1 through 100. Those are the defendants named. Those are the LLCs that are alleged to be tracked back to where money from LuLaRoe went into, which again, fascinating. The cross complaint is not quite as many people. It is just LuLaRoe Inc. or LLR Inc., the Wyoming Corporation versus Providence Industries. Daniel S. Kang, an individual, the, the one of the I think he's the CEO of, of my dire. He's the one that was friends with Mark Stidham, the CEO of, or COO of LuLaRoe. United Apparel Industries, LLC, James Lee as trustee of the Lee Family Trust, Joseph Choi, an individual, M. Rhino Intermediate, LLC, Providence Industrial Holdings, LLC, and Rose, two through 70 inclusive. Rose, not does, because it is a cross complaint. So that is the original lawsuit, you know, my dire suing LuLaRoe for 48 to $60 million, LuLaRoe cross suing all of the individuals I just listed for a billion dollars. In the, the operative facts of the cross complaint starts with, uh, 
This dispute arises out of the fractured relationship of two businesses that seemingly grew at a breakneck pace together over the course of three to four years. In that time, LLR paid MyDyer over $1.8 billion to manufacture LuLaRoe-branded products to be resold to independent fashion retailers. Unbeknownst to LLR and at the direction of its CEO, Kang, MyDyer A, fraudulently induced LLR to enter into the party's agreement, and B, engineered and engaged in a systematic, years-long scheme to defraud LLR by intentionally under-delivering and overcharging LLR for products, causing LLR to suffer hundreds of millions of dollars in damages by the end of 2018. They go on to allege that instead of owning up to its improper conduct and theft of hundreds of millions of dollars from LLR, when it became clear that LLR was putting its foot down and demanding an explanation, reconciliation, and remediation for the payment MyDyer improperly collected from LLR, MyDyer immediately ran to court in a not-so-veiled attempt to take over LLR's entire business through ill-conceived and patently improper motions seeking an attachment to the and the appointment of a receiver to operate LLR's business footnote 1 critically my dyer failed to provide LLR with notice it was in, contractually entitled to and it did this for the express purpose of trying to blindside LLR and cut off its production line which was at the time dominated by my dyer so my dyer going to court and cutting off its production line would have kind of toppled LLR. That's what they're alleging. And in that footnote, it says, um, in fact, the court has twice rejected MyDyer's efforts to have LLR's business taken over by a MyDyer-nominated receiver. In doing so, the court noted that, well, quote, there is much innuendo alleged by MyDyer about LLR and its businesses. That innuendo is unsupported by admissible evidence. The court uh, my diary, you need to bring facts, please. We would like facts, not just fuckery, please. If you're going to try to put this business into receivership, and we'll talk about that in a second. The footnote goes on to say, though various news sources reported on the mere filing of my diary's complaint, including the salacious allegations therein, me, I did that, in, me included. <laughs> The media has largely ignored my dyer's repeated failures to substantiate its baseless allegations in a court of law. In an ironic turn of events, it is my dyer who was recently placed into receivership in an action brought by its primary lender, East West Bank. The shade in that is thick and deep and kind of veiled, but my dyer tried to place LuLaRoe's business in receivership, meaning the business would be operated and run by someone else to pay back the monies owed by my dyer to prevent the business from getting raided of funds, et cetera. And in the shade in this footnote, it said, yes, well, my dyer has actually been put into receivership because it has not paid its primary lender, East West Bank. So it seems like these companies are dragging each other to the bottom. I know that some of the My Dyer allegations are that LuLaRoe's failure to pay is what caused a lot of My Dyer's financial issues, that having uh, tens of millions outstanding is the problem. And LuLaRoe kind of blaming My Dyer, look, you are giving us shitty project product. It's what caused us problems, though in Lula Rich, what LuLaRoe argued is our product's never been defective. People are just very loud on social media. It's not us. But in the context of this lawsuit, they allege in the cross-complaint, look, you were overcharging us and under-delivering on, under on the quality of the product, which damaged our business too. This um, 
cross-complaint is extensive. It's over 30 pages long and continues to go into the facts in the crumbling of this relationship. I want to make sure I get to the other lawsuits in kind of this summary. If you would like a deep dive into the lawsuits, uh, let me know on social media at the Emily D. Baker. Be like, yes, girl, yes. Deep dive into the My Dyer lawsuit because there is so much there. But most interestingly, as LuLaRoe was like, we do nothing wrong, we do nothing wrong, we do nothing wrong. The state of Washington disagreed. Washington state filed a lawsuit against LuLaRoe on January 23rd, 2019, with some very big allegations. The press release regarding this filing from the attorney general of the state of Washington said, quote, LuLaRoe tricked consumers into buying into its pyramid scheme with deceptive claims of high profits and refunds for unsold merchandise. Instead, many Washingtonians lost money and were left with piles of unsold merchandise and broken promises from LuLaRoe. It's time to hold LuLaRoe accountable for its deception. And in that filing, they alleged an illegal pyramid scheme, misleading income claims being made by LuLaRoe, which is illegal. You can't be like, oh, you're, you're going to make this much money. You're going to make that much money. Do this thing. Get rich quick. Those kinds of income claims are illegal under both state and federal law, though I do still see them on the internet all of the time. <laughs> there, look, it's like whack-a-mole with these kinds of things, but LuLaRoe was a big enough business that it couldn't just uh, pop down and pop back up on a different website, right? The next claim was failure to disclose material terms in violation of the Consumer Protection Act and then means and instrumentalities the way that the business was promoting itself. In February 2021, LuLaRoe and um, the state of Washington entered into a consent decree where they agreed to a stipulated settlement and judgment. You actually saw in Lula Rich depositions that took place with regard to this case. What you saw in those depositions was a whole lot of, I don't know, I don't recall. I don't remember. It makes you feel like you're watching the depositions from the Elizabeth Holmes depositions in the documentaries done about that case that's currently at trial with a lot of, I don't know, I'm not aware, I can't recall, I don't remember. You know how you don't get yourself in trouble when you don't want to answer a question, but you have to legally answer the question? It's like, I just, I don't recall. Because I don't recall can't really be cross-checked against anything. Now, a lawyer down the road can be like, you said I don't recall like 700 times here, but it, this document shows you knew, this email shows you knew, you can be called out in other ways for that. But, but, but let's get to this consent decree. The heart of the consent decree was that LuLaRoe had to pay $4,750,000 to the state of Washington that was going to be then redistributed to Washingtonians who had been harmed by LuLaRoe. There were some other conditions as well, including the fact that they are not allowed to market their pyramid scheme in the state of Washington. So defendants, LuLaRoe, are permanently restrained and enjoined from advertising, marketing, promoting, or offering a pyramid scheme to Washington residents or in the state of Washington. Then there is a more comprehensive ban on particular business practices and talks about the types of compensation plans, calculations, and payments that are considered illegal and a pyramid scheme, and that they are permanently restrained from doing business that way in the state of Washington, which includes things like calculates a participant's compensation or eligibility to receive compensation based on that participant's purchase of goods or services 
or other participants' purchase of goods or services. And we talked about this a little bit earlier, this thought that it is the retailers or consultants that are the ones that are buying the goods, not actual customers. And it is that that is keeping a thing going. So you cannot base compensation on what other retailers are purchasing. You have to base it on what they are selling to third parties, not part of the company, which drastically changes the payment structure for LuLaRoe. Pays a participant any compensation calculated on the basis of the sale of goods or services by anyone not in the participant's downline. Then it defines compensation, talks about the other information, what how they're to collect sales information, how they're to verify that they are retail sales, not sales to other resellers at wholesale. They go on to talk about what kind of refund policies they have to have. And the state really lines out what they have to disclose, how they have to run their business. And they're like, look, what you're doing is not okay. So if you ever need to check against what um, what kind of policies are considered not within the realm of a pyramid scheme, this consent decree from Washington really lays it all out. The biggest one, again, being how you are calculating compensation based off of what you are retailing, not what you are selling to other wholesalers. Compliance, and then it lays out the way that they are going to comply, the way that um, LuLaRoe must work with the state of Washington going forward. And it says for the years 2021 through 2026, defendants shall maintain for the reasonable review of Washington and upon request, provide the following information, retail sales data, written reports, um, describing the steps that they're taking, how they're monitoring retail sales, et cetera, et cetera. This consent decree is over 26 patients long. It talks about when payment needs to be made. And really the heart of it again is fundamentally outlining the way that the business needs to be run. And I'm sure there are things LuLaRoe needed to do within the business to change, to adhere to this consent decree. Now in Rich, they talk about feeling, um, I don't know if the exact word they used was persecuted, but it was the vibe I got that they felt persecuted by the state of Washington, that it's like, look, you just, you're not entrepreneurs. You have no vision. You don't know how these things work. I'm doing my, you know, we're running a legitimate company. This isn't a problem. We're not even an MLM. We're not a multi-level marketing company. We're not a network marketing company. We're in the business of wholesaling clothes to retailers. We're in the business of making relationships with people, right? Right? If you watched, if you watched Lula Rich, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Mark actually said in episode one, we're not in the clothing business. We're in the people business. You know what else a people business is where you get paid to bring other people into business opportunity? Yeah, a pyramid scheme. (laughs) When you get paid for recruiting, the money from the recruits goes up the chain. That's like literally the definition of a pyramid scheme, but okay. Okay. There were lots of things. Um, I, we didn't even get into the kind of the underlying sexism that was brought up in the documentary. We didn't get into the underlying lack of diversity within LuLaRoe that was brought up in the, the documentary. There was quite a lot that I did not cover because I wanted to focus on the legal aspects of it. If you've watched it, please share with me your thoughts on social media. I would 
love to hear. And if you are a Patreon, then there will be a discussion thread with regard to this episode in there so we can have that chat too. If you want to get on the inside of Patreon and check out the I Have Thoughts members only podcast, you can do that at patreon.com slash the Emily D. Baker. And that's all she wrote, folks. Those are kind of the big lawsuits. A lot of them at this point um, are still ongoing. This My Dyer lawsuit shows no signs of slowing down, but I will be keeping an eye on it as updates come because I'm now interested in how it ends. I was very interested in the state of Washington lawsuit and thankfully and blessedly that one has resolved. So lots to come out of LuLaRoe. And if there are other um, multi-level companies that are getting sued up one side and down the other like this, I have not seen it, but I will keep my eyes open for it. Until next time, thank you for being a Lawnard. Raise a glass and say it with me because this is now just our ending of The Emily Show. So may your Wi-Fi be strong. May your toilet paper be plentiful. May your family be well. And may the odds be ever in your favor. I will talk to you in the next one. (laughs) 